Turn to page, well, let's see, turn to Mark chapter 14, page 850 if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. Mark chapter 14. We're starting, uh, well, we're picking up in our series of Mark. Uh, we're going to finish up Mark uh, this spring, and we're uh, I'm driving us to the end of the chapter, or to the end of the book, Mark chapter 16. Uh, we're we're going to finish up on Easter Sunday, and that's April 1st. So uh, April 1st is Easter Sunday this year, and we'll finish up with with Mark. What? No fooling around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've thought I've already prepared my April Fool's joke for y'all for that day. So, <laughs> and I'm not going to do it because it's too good. So, uh, Mark chapter 14. Uh, in the new year, uh, we all make resolutions, or, or we're told that, told that we need to make New Year's resolutions, and uh, and we do this. It's always interesting to me that we do this because we we know intrinsically that there's something deficient about us, that, that there's something wrong with us, and we need to improve ourselves. And all you have to do is look over the last year and see the many ways in which you've fallen short of your ideal of what you're supposed to be to see the way that you need to change. Uh, and and so you make resolutions. And here we are on the 7th, and you've probably already broken those resolutions. And so at the end of this year, you're going to look back over the year, and you're going to say, well, I wasn't, I'm not any better. I'm not I'm not different than I was. Um, uh, What the world says we should do in order to change is we look internally to ourselves uh, and and we find some kind of strength that's there to make ourselves better internally. Or the world says that we look externally from ourselves and change our circumstances. Uh, Well, if you're like me, you'll find that you don't have the strength inside of you to change yourself and you don't have the strength to change your circumstances either. So is there any hope for us with this deficiency that we have? Well, yes, there is hope for us. And I think in this passage, uh, we're shown that hope today. Uh, we're going to be given a contrast between uh, two types of people today. And the Bible throughout all of the scriptures says essentially there's just two types of people. Uh, And that begins in Genesis chapter 3. There are the seed of the woman, God's people, the people that God makes to be his own, the ones that worship and adore him over everything else in the world. And then there's the seed of the serpent, Satan's people, people that worship everything else but God. And we see those two types of people here in this passage today. We're given that contrast very clearly. And it allows us an opportunity to reflect and say and ask the question of what kind of person I am. Whose team am I on? So let's read this together. This is Mark chapter 14 verses 1 through 11. I'll invite you to to, uh, follow along as I read it. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table. And a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. 
Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, or, or they rejoiced, and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we thank you for the beauty of what this woman did to anoint Jesus Christ, and and to do it in such a way as to show her worship of him. Father, I pray that you would provoke our hearts within us to rejoice in him and to worship him and to lavish him with all the the things of this world and, and all the things that are inside of us, Father. We pray that he would be our glory, that he would be our delight, even as he was this woman's delight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning I want to see this passage in three ways. Uh, first of all, we're going to see uh, perilous power, uh, and that is the power that the chief priest and the leaders had uh, that led to a perilous ending for them. Secondly, we're going to see a pricey passion that this woman uh, was, uh, gave to Jesus, uh, a very costly uh, form of worship. And then also, also, or finally, a profane priority that we see with Judas. So first of all, perilous power. Uh, verses 1 and 2, we're given a time stamp. Uh, we've been building up in, in Mark. You can go back and listen to those sermons. They're on the website. You can go and hear those. But we've been building up to this moment. And uh, we're now two days before the Passover feast, two days before Good Friday. And there's a lot that happens in these two days before Good Friday. Uh, and the chief priest and the scribes and everyone, uh, the religious leaders of the day, they've, they've grown uh, frustrated with Jesus to the point where they're ready not just to arrest him, because up to this point they've been saying they just want to arrest him, they want to arrest him. But now they say they actually want to arrest him and kill him. And now why do they want to do that? Why do they want to kill Jesus? What is it about Jesus that makes them want to kill him? Well, here it is. They had what they thought was power. They had carved out for themselves a little niche, a little, a little part of power in the religious sector in this small, out-of-the-way place in the middle of nowhere in the Middle East. They, they felt like they had power and control. And Jesus came, and in his preaching and in his teaching, he revealed the truth to them. And it's a truth to all of us that we need to hear that we are small, that we are insignificant, that we have no power, and that we have no control. Uh, Now, for those of you that uh, understand that you really don't have any power and control, that's not very offensive. But there's some of us here who think that we have a lot of power, a lot of control over our lives. And if whenever you hear that you actually don't have any, you're offended by that. And you think, well, no, you, you can't tell me that I can't control my life. Well, I, I don't mind telling you, no, you can't. And, and Jesus, when he looks at these religious leaders and he threatens their economics, their, their wealth, when he threatens to take their power away from them, 
They're offended by it and they want him dead. They love power. They desire power over everything else. And Jesus is taking their power away from them. Uh, If you really understand who Jesus is and what he came to do, I think you would also be offended by him. Uh, Because Jesus has come to demand everything from you, to take the thing that you love. Because Jesus understands that that our loves are all disoriented, that we go after the wrong things, that we love the wrong things. And what Jesus does is he comes and he says, you have to give up the things that you love. That you were not made to love the things of this world. You were not made to give yourself over to the things of this world. But you were actually made by him to give yourself over to him in full dedication, in full worship, in full allegiance to him. That's why C.S. Lewis, uh, in one of his great works, said there's only three options that you have with Jesus. You can either call him a Lord and give your life over to him. You can call him a liar. Or you can call him a lunatic and, and, and lock him up. You can't have a tepid response or a mild response to Jesus because he's either a Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. You have to make that choice. You have to decide for yourself. Now, regardless of how you decide... Jesus is the Lord. And what we see here is that through this passage that Mark is saying, He is the Lord. Give your life over to Him. That's what He demands. But if you don't, you're going to want to kill Him like uh, like these individuals did. They loved power. And Jesus is a threat to their power, just like Jesus is is a threat to the things that we adore. Jesus is a threat to the things that we really want in this world that are not Him. So what is that thing for you? What is the thing that you're protecting from Jesus? What is the thing that you you think you want over him? We're going to see this again in a minute with Judas, that he wants something. And maybe when we look at Judas, it'll be a little bit more clear uh, to us. Uh, But there's something that we're protecting that we want. And it could be a very good thing. And I just want you to understand that Jesus is going to have that thing. If you are his, he will take it from you for your good. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. I just want to show you the perilous power that these guys had. So perilous that they wanted to kill Jesus for it. The next thing that we see is the pricey passion. A pricey passion in this, uh, in this uh, party that's being throw, thrown uh, for Jesus. Um, if you want more reference for this, there's more details that are given about this party, about this, uh, this uh, scene Um, in Matthew chapter 26 and then also in John chapter 13 or John chapter 12. You can go back and read those. In John chapter 12, we're actually told that uh, this happens, this event that we're about to see happens six days before the Passover. So what Mark has done is he's given us uh, the the, uh, chief priests and the scribes that they want to kill Jesus. And now, just like a movie does a flashback or yeah, he goes back in time, back just a few days to this, uh, to this dinner party that's being thrown. And so what happens here? Uh, while at Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard in verse 3, uh, we're told that there's a dinner party being thrown at this guy's house, Simon the leper. Um, now, what's interesting about Simon the leper, uh, tradition says that Simon the leper was the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, we don't know if he actually was. 
but that's what tradition says, that he was the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Um, John, in John 12, John tells us that this party was taking place at Simon the leper's house, and that Mary and Martha, Martha had prepared the meal, Mary was there, and Lazarus was there reclining with Jesus. So it was obviously a house that they were familiar with. So regardless of who Simon the leper was in relation to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he was a close friend and acquaintance of these people. So we're told that he was Simon the leper. Now that is not the kind of nickname that you want. It would be as if somebody took the absolute worst thing about you and said, um, I don't know, whatever it is, you're, you know, Kenny the whatever. I mean, just just the worst thing that you can possibly think of. And they said, that's who you are and you're identified by this ailment, you know. Um, and, And here we see that there's this dinner party and all these people are there. And Jesus is there right before the Passover meal. Now understand that. That if Simon still had leprosy, that these people would not have been around him. They would not have been fellowshipping with him. They would have been far away from him. He would have had to stay outside of the city. And he would have had to tell everybody, ring a bell and say, I have leprosy. Stay away, stay away. No one would have been around him. So obviously, he had been healed of his leprosy. He probably was the one that we're told about in Mark chapter 1 that came to Jesus And asked to be healed, and Jesus healed him. And so here's a man who has been healed by Jesus. And he has has such a great love for Jesus that his friends or his children, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, are close acquaintances and love Jesus as well. And they're throwing this big party in his honor. So we see with Simon that he cares about Jesus, that he loves Jesus and gives to him. So that the, the, and it's amazing that the thing that was to his disgrace, he doesn't mind now being identified with because he's been healed of that disease and he can welcome all in. And even his ailment is an opportunity to talk about the glory of Jesus Christ. You understand that? Even the bad thing in his life, the thing that caused him to be called Simon the leper, was now an opportunity for the proclamation of the glory of Jesus Christ. And what happens in the midst of this? We're told, again, in John chapter 12, that the woman that Mark leaves unnamed here is Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Close acquaintances with Jesus, ones who did a lot to take care of Jesus, who offered him food and, and provisions and offered him their house to stay in whenever he traveled through. Close acquaintances with them. And here is Mary, and she, she does this amazing thing. When all the men would have been gathered in one room and the women would have been separate from them, Mary comes in, and she has this alabaster jar. Now, I had to look up and, uh, on Google and find out what an alabaster jar was. It's a stone jar. It's a white stone jar. It, it's a soft stone. It would have been carved out, uh, and, the, and the fragrant oil would have been put inside the jar. Uh, we're told... Um, uh, that it's, it's ointment or oil of pure nard. How many of y'all have pure nard back at home? Anybody pure nard? <laughs> None of us have that. We don't even know what that is. Well, let me just tell you. Uh, this is a type of perfume or oil that is extracted from a specific kind of plant in northern India. Um, it's very fragrant. The whole process takes a long time. And to have a jar of this stuff... Um, uh, it, it's really incredible because it was a rare thing. 
So here they are a few thousand miles away from northern India. Um, and Mary has this expensive jar worth 300 denarii. So essentially, $40,000 worth of perfume that she has. That's essentially what it would be equivalent for us. $40,000 worth of perfume. And what does she do? She goes into Jesus. She takes this very expensive jar with this very expensive oil. She anoints his head with it so that the oil drips down over his head. And the fragrance would have filled the room. And the fragrance would have filled not just the room, but it would have spread out to even the outside. It would have been so strong and so powerful. And what Mary saw was when Jesus was there six days before his death, it was an opportunity for her to show her devotion to Jesus Christ. It was an opportunity for her to show just how much she loved and appreciated him. This was an audacious gift for Jesus. Um, there's an episode of The Office. Uh, I don't know if any of you watched The Office, but uh, I watched every single episode of that. It was an amazing series. It followed this group of people in an office and all the, the, the really silly and pointless stuff that happens when you work in middle management in an office. But there was a love, uh, a, a, a love relationship that happened between Jim and Pam. And there's one episode before Jim and Pam have declared their love for each other. It's a Christmas episode where, where they have to exchange Christmas presents and they do secret Santa. Uh, and everything gets messed up. But Jim, Jim prepares. He, he wants to tell Pam that he loves her without actually telling her. And so he makes sure and manipulates that he gets Pam's name, that he, he can give her the right gift, and he goes and he gives her the perfect gift, the thing that she always wanted. And it was kind of an inside thing that she would know that when she opened it, it was her gift. It was just for her. And she would know that Jim loved, loved her. Well, as it works out in the office, Michael Scott, the office manager, ruins it all. He gets the gift. It's pointless and worthless to him. He throws it aside. And then the whole thing is ruined. And ultimately, Pam does know that Jim loves her because of the extravagant and glorious gift that was given to her. Now, Jim did that kind of in secret. Jim did that just so that Pam would know. And I want you to understand that this is not that kind of this is the kind of gift that immediately when Mary poured out the oil over Jesus, that everyone would have known that she loved Jesus, that she was giving everything to Jesus, that she said, you are my all, it is all for you. Now, why would she do this? What has Jesus done for her? Well, again, she received back from the dead her brother, her brother who had been dead for four days. Jesus raised him from the dead. She received back from, from illness, Simon the leper, however he was related. She saw the glory of Jesus Christ. And so what does she give to him? She doesn't just give perfume. This isn't just a gift that husbands give to their wives on Valentine's Day. No, $40,000 worth of perfume. This would have been a nest egg. This would have been a gift that was given to Mary... She was a childless, unmarried woman in the ancient Near East, which meant she couldn't make contracts for herself. She couldn't run a business for herself. She could basically do nothing for herself. She was absolutely dependent upon the men around her. So when Lazarus died, her brother, who was her protector, that was a big deal. 
And when Simon the leper had leprosy, that was a big deal that he couldn't help take care of her. But she had this $40,000 stashed away, put away, that she could have brought out and used in case of an emergency. And she saved it, and it was there. And now, at this point, she takes out her nest egg. She takes out her savings. She basically takes out all of her future, all of her security, everything that she would have been leaning on and says, I'm giving it to you, Jesus. It's all for you. Let me not put too fine a point on it, but let me say it like this. She clears out her savings, her 401ks, her IRAs, every last bit of it, and she says, I don't need it because I have Jesus. That's what she does. You see the extravagant nature of what she's doing here. And people understood it. People were were offended. In John's gospel, again, we're told that Judas is the loudest voice here, that Judas is indignant. Now, why was Judas so mad? Because Judas was the one that handled the money for the disciples. When people would give money, Judas was the accountant that handled it. And we're told that Judas liked to take a little bit out for himself here and there. So here he sees this extravagant gift that could have been sold. And he says, it could have been given to the poor. It should have been given to the poor. And in the back of his mind, he doesn't care about the poor. He's saying it should have been given to us and I could have helped myself to that. We're going to see something a little bit more about about Judas in a minute. But here is this woman and we have a proof of what she worships, a proof of what she loves over everything else in the world. You see, everything that you do, everything that you and I do is an act of worship. If I can convince you of anything, uh, I want to convince you of that, that everything that you do, not just on Sunday mornings for an hour while you're here, but everything you do is an act of worship. You are giving yourselves over to something And you're saying that something defines me. Something makes me who I am. And if I'm loved in a certain way, then that means that I'm special. If I am appreciated or if I'm complimented or as long as I have a certain amount of money in the bank or as, as long as I have the respect of my peers or the adoration of the people around me. See, all of that is about worship. And what you're saying is those things define me and you're saying that I will worship those things. So, what do you really worship? This woman is proving, Mary is proving, that she worships Jesus over everything else. She gives to Jesus extravagantly. She gives over and above anything that Jesus would have ever asked of her. She gives and gives and gives to the point of saying that her security is not in her money, not in the way that people think about her, not in her reputation, not in her wealth or any of that. Her security is in Jesus Christ. So what do you give yourself extravagantly to? What do you give extravagantly to? What are you giving yourself to at this moment? Where is your mind going as I'm preaching? It's an act of worship. The way that you use your mind, the things that you think about, Those are the things that you are truly worshiping in this world. And this woman says that I belong to Jesus and I'm giving extravagantly to her. See, here's the thing. She poured out all of herself to Jesus. You're going to pour yourself out to something. Every single day, every single moment, you're pouring yourself out to something. What is it? What are you pouring yourself out to this year? 
I hope in this new year that it's Jesus that you're pulling yourself out to. Well, finally, we see a profane priority in 10 and 11. We see Judas. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they rejoiced. My translation says they were glad. It's a terrible word that's used there. No, they rejoiced. They were so happy that they could kill Jesus. Do you see that? Jesus had taken their power. And they were happy to get rid of that. When Jesus confronted Judas and he said, Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Judas could not stand that Jesus confronted him. You see, what Judas wanted more than anything else, what Judas loved was money. Judas is willing to betray Jesus for money. And we know 30 pieces of silver. That's what it's worth for him to to betray Jesus. Notice the contrast. Mary sacrificed all of her money for Jesus. Judas sacrificed Jesus for money. The leaders are going to sacrifice Jesus for their position and their power. This is the major difference between Christians and everyone else. Everyone else will sacrifice Jesus for the thing that they want. Why have you come here this morning? Have you come to get something from Jesus? Or have you come to get Jesus? That's what Christians are. Christians come for Jesus, not for the stuff that he gives us. And this really does get down to the heart of who we are. What do you really want? Judas was after money. That's why he followed Jesus. What do you really want? What are you going after? I think we need to be honest about our hearts and what we're really going after. We need to look deeply at who we are. Are we just using Jesus to try to get to our goal? Are we just using the appearance that we get of being a really righteous and spiritual person by coming to church to just get to the next point where we think we need to do? Churches are filled with good-looking people that are going to hell. We need to be careful about this. There's diagnostic here for us. There's an opportunity for us to really evaluate our hearts and ask, what are we going after? I mean, young people, are you willing to sacrifice your reputation for the sake of Christ? School is hard. Growing up is really hard. And you're going to be asked on a day-to-day basis to sacrifice your reputation to do the right thing for the sake of Christ. That's not just for young people. That's for for old people too, for the rest of us. To do everything for the sake of Christ, not for our sake. Parents, are you asking for your kids to sacrifice for your own well-being? Um, The greatest place that we can see this and the easiest place to see this is the way that children's sports are dominating our society today. Children's sports and sports facilities are filled with children Parents are asking their children to sacrifice everything just for the parents so the parents can feel good about themselves. That's the clearest example, I think, in our society and where we live today of of asking someone else to sacrifice for our well-being. I mean, just think about what I I saw somebody post a meme that said, uh, it was before Christmas, and it said um, the children were asking for things, and it said, Sorry, children, you can't have Christmas this year because we do travel ball. Uh, because of how expensive travel ball or travel soccer. And what do sports demand? Sports demand everything from you and say, you sacrifice everything. 
But here's the thing about Jesus. Only Jesus sacrifices himself for you. Only Jesus gives himself for you. All other idols, all other things that you go after say you must sacrifice yourself for me. All of your time, all of your money, all of your energy. But Jesus gives everything to us so that we can have all we need, so that we can have him. This year, what are you anointing? Because you are. You're giving something, you're giving everything over to something. What is it? If it's anything other than Jesus, next year will be just like the beginning of this year. Unsatisfied, unfulfilled, thinking that life is worthless and pointless and you're having to do it all over again. If this year you make the decision to anoint Jesus with everything that you have, the beginning of next year you will see that life is joyous and good and satisfying, come with what may. In the Lord's Supper this morning, we have an opportunity to be reminded of everything that he's done for us. That he gave it all. He shed his blood so that we can have access to the throne. So that we can be called children of God. In the Lord's Supper, we see that he did it all for us so that we could have him. I pray that you would see that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this meal today. For uh, the reminder that it is to us. Of your great sacrifice. Uh, We pray that you would uh, encourage our hearts this morning again with the gospel, even as we've heard it, that you have given yourself to us, that the demand that you have on us is because uh, of who you are and what you've done already. Father, we pray that you would be pleased to remind us of the gospel of your grace and show us yourself even now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.